Turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. And if you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd love to read to you Titus chapter 2. God's word says this, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train young women to love their husbands and children and to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that the opponent opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything... They may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. And God, I ask your blessing on your word. May your Holy Spirit be our teacher now. Help us to have moldable hearts before you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, uh, as we as we look to God's word, uh, we're going to look at really the the question is, what do you do with hard passages in the scripture? What, what do you do with the difficult things that God says? Um, if you're like me, I struggle. I, I'll have my own ideas. I'll come to God's word. I'll read something. I'll hear something preached. And I'll fight against it. And I'll say, I'm not sure I buy into that. And there's this back and forth. And I struggle. Um, and sometimes what I want, I don't get. Um, and maybe you're like me. That sometimes you go to God's Word or you come to church. And you say, you know what I really need today? Is for someone to just tell me I'm all right. I'm perfect, you know, just the way I am, you know, just kind of, I'm already heading in a direction and I want someone to just kind of pat me along my way and say, you're doing good, you're doing good. And I come before a passage or I come before something that God has said and it doesn't say that. Um, So what do we do in times like that? As we look at chapter two, just in review, that's kind of what the context is. If you look at verse 1, he said, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Um, 
he commands him to teach. He commands him to teach. And teach what accords for sound doctrine. It's the idea that teaching that brings about health to one's life. Not health in the sense of eating organic and eating your veggies and all kinds of different other weeds that they try to feed you and say they're healthy for you. Um, This is what it, it comes to bring health to your soul. What's best for you, what you were designed for. And he says, you need to be teaching that. Well, then he goes, you know, if you can picture this, um, the people in Crete uh, were doing just fine, weren't they? Many of them didn't think that they needed anything at all. And then they came to know Christ and they were like, well, how do we do this? And if you can picture them riding bikes, I don't think they were riding bikes on Crete, but maybe they were. I don't think they were. But it's as if Titus, he shows up and Paul tells him specifically, I want you to teach them something different. And it's as if they're riding their bikes along merrily and happily, just kind of going, I think we got this taken care of. And Titus shows up and he takes the broom handle and he jams it into their wheel and they go sailing over the front of the bike and say, hey, what are you doing? And he says, you shouldn't go that way that you're going. I need to stop this train. You need to go in the different direction. That's what teaching does. It constantly is, is taking us sometimes from going in the very wrong direction and it stuns us and says, you need to go in a different direction. You say, but I wanted to go in that direction. That's where I was heading. That's what I was doing. And God in his mercy says, I want to teach you something different. I want to give you a different direction. Right after that verse 1, he goes into his list of different people within the church. He talks to older men. We'll call them classic men. And and it's tough, man. What what do you do with stuff like this? If you look at it at verse 2, he talks to classic men to lead by example. It's as if he says, don't get lost in your old guy stories of the way it was when I was a kid. Don't lecture. Don't do that. But lead by example. That you would have a trust and a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that can be emulated It's not your experience that matters, old men. It's that you know and you have a faith and a steadfastness and you're stuck with the Lord. That's not what you have on your resume. And maybe as you read that as an older man, you're like, I don't know what to do with this. I'd rather go back to the resume thing of telling old guy stories and trusting in my experience and making people listen to me because I'm their elder. Instead of being that example, and and I wonder, what what do you do with passages like this? I think to you older women, you classic women, where it talks to you in verse 3, and it, it calls you to be worthy to be followed, worthy to be followed, not because of your age or because of your life, but because of your, your life that is worthy to be followed, stuff that's in you, that's a part of you. He calls older women to not be harmful gossips that recklessly hurt people with their words. He calls them to be examples of loving their husband and children, not themselves. He calls them to love not their own ideas or their travels or their hobbies. He calls them to to be lovers and examples of that, 
to the things that matter most, their husband and children. How's that hit you, older ladies? Sometimes frustrating and like, why is, why is he bringing this up? He turns to younger women. In the midst of ex- exhorting uh, older ladies, he says to the, to the younger women, be self-controlled. Be self-controlled. Younger women aren't to be culture-controlled. They're not to be controlled by their emotions. They're to be controlled by their mind that has been changed by the gospel to restrain themselves from being what everyone else is like. He calls them about their priorities and he he says you should be workers at home. Workers at home. That this should be your priority, not some cardboard mountain of the rewarding career at the cost of your husband and children. That they would play somehow second fiddle in your heart because you are seeking something that is somehow easier to quantify your success and definitely easier to corral in your home. He calls young women to be submissive to their own husbands, not doing their own thing, not following him in such a way where you're the boat anchor in the rear and saying, we will not go any farther than I want to go. He calls women to be submissive, not manipulating their own husbands or pouting when they don't like what's going on and punishing him and saying, I'll make you think twice about doing that again. Ladies, how do you deal with this? What do you do? When God says hard things, what do we do? He calls to young men. You remember, he doesn't say much to young men, probably because they have a short attention span. In verse 6, he says, Likewise, urge younger men to be self-controlled. Self-controlled, what does that mean? What does that mean? It means, men, don't be recklessly living your life binging on video games and food and pornography and money and alcohol. You need to learn to have your own mind control your own heart, to know when to say when and what is good for your soul and what is not. And you shouldn't be looking for your mama or somebody else to tell you, "Uh uh-uh, not anymore. Tells young men to be self-controlled. So what do you do with this? How do you deal with this? When God says hard things to you, how do you deal with it? Even as I have said these things this morning in review of past messages, uh, either those messages or this morning, you may be saying in your own heart, preacher, why don't you mind your own business? Why don't you mind your own business? I know that feeling. I I know that feeling. I, I understand that. And yet as we look to God's word, this is what it says. So what do we do with it? We look at our verse this morning. I'm going to look at verse 15. Verse 15. This brings us to today. And there's an awkwardness to this verse that that I need to just confess right now. This verse says this, that I should tell you this. 
you need to listen to me. You need to listen to me. Okay? That's what this verse says. You need to listen to me. Because God says so. Because God says so. That's just the real simplicity of this verse 15. You need to listen to me. To me. Because God says so. And I realize that it's super awkward and weird. Because most of you know me well enough to know, I'm not listening to that guy. He doesn't know any more than I do. Those of you who are older look at me and you go, you know what, I'm old enough to be his, his father or his mother. Don't you tell me what I'm going to listen to you. I'll decide whether I'm going to listen to you or not. And yet this is what verse 15 is going to get at. And so I'll just acknowledge that awkwardness at the beginning. And now we'll move on. What does he say, verse 15? Declare these things. You know, when you're studying God's word, you've got to ask the question, what is it saying? Well, what are these things? What are these things? I think these things are the things that I just talked to you about. That he has, he has a message. And, and Titus, as he was uh, getting this letter from Paul, and he was called to kind of shepherd these churches in Crete, he says, declare these things, these things I've just talked to you about. And, and if you can see it this way, declare things to people that they don't want to hear. Declare them. Why do you think he had to tell them, even command them to do these things? Uh, I'll make it real simple for you. I'll make it real simple. Because nobody wants to say this. Preachers are the biggest cowards on the face of the earth. They love talking about messages of God's love because it somehow makes them feel like they're the one. I mean, how can you miss with a message like that, right? That God loves you so much that his son died for you and he wants you to be a part of his family. Anybody can share that message and, you know, everyone's like, yeah, oh, yeah. But messages like, hey, you need to change and stop being who you are right now. Those are the ones that we skip over. Those are the ones that, that I don't want to share. There are moments and days and mornings, Sunday morning, in my cowardice, I'm going, God, can we skip over this passage? Let's just talk about something else. Can't we talk about all that golden stuff you're going to give them in heaven, you know? Can we talk about like nice things and stuff like that? Why do we have to go through this passage? I, I, I honestly struggle with your perception of me. Wanting to be a people pleaser. Wanting you to somehow relate to me and say, Oh, that was an amazing message. And this, you know, you're a good preacher because I like the way you said this to me and it made me feel good inside. Hey, but there are days when we walk through passages that there's a sense where it hits us right in the face and the, the message is, You're wrong. And so he says to Titus, a coward like me, he says, declare these things. There are things that need to be declared that may not go along with what we're already doing. In fact, he says to declare them, verse 15, and then he says this, exhort and rebuke, exhort and rebuke. The first word, exhort, it's the idea of urging, urging uh, to move, urging to move. And uh in our educated world today, 
Uh, we don't like that. We don't like that. We want people to just kind of lay out the product in front of us, give us a few options of what we can do, and then say, well, choose which one you like. That's not what he called Titus to do, and that's not what he calls me and you to do either. He calls us to urge toward the right message. Urge someone to move to do what God wants them to do. It's the idea of saying, hey, let's, let's get after it. Let's go. Let's move. Let's change. Don't just sit there and say, boy, pastor, that was a nice sermon you gave today. That was just a wonder. Oh, I love the way you used that little illustration at the end. I love little piggies, you know. Oh, so cute the way you did that there. No, I'll remember that for at least the next five minutes. <laughs> the, the point of preaching and reading God's Word is not that we would stay the same, but it's an urging to move, to grow, to change. And he says, Titus, declare these things and urge them to do it, to do it. It's motivational. It's the idea of hurry up, hurry up, let's go. The second word he uses there is rebuke. And that word is a little bit different. It's got the same idea, but it has the idea of someone maybe who hasn't listened. They've heard the message. They've understood that they're wrong and they're like, I'm fine. I'm okay. And the idea of a rebuke is saying, no, stop it. You're not right. You've got to change. It's confrontational. Uh, some of you um, get a wrong impression sometimes of me that I love confrontation. So you think that. And you say, oh, he, he, he doesn't bat an eye. He told me some awful things a few times and I didn't like it. And he seems real comfortable with it. Hey, I want to tell you, you know what? People are cowards. Your pastor is a coward. I sit there staring at phones and, and messages and I go, oh, what am I going to do now? You know, I, I got to take care of this. And oh, it'll just be easier to just let it. No, the issue is God. The issue is his message and his call. It's not to, he says, declare these things. Don't gloss over them. Urge them to do it. And when they don't, rebuke, rebuke. The idea of rebuking is not just telling people wrong. You're wrong. But it's telling people they're wrong and they need to change for their best, for God's best, to rebuke. It's a solemn admonition for those who fail to respond. Boy, this sounds kind of heavy-handed, doesn't it? It does, doesn't it? It just feels that way. As I acknowledge the awkwardness of this, I, I think, wow, why, why do we have to declare these things? Why don't we just, you know, pick and choose whatever you want? You know, God will get it all taken care of, won't He? Declare these things. Urge them to obey. Rebuke if need be. And then He says this with all authority. With all authority. Zooks. Yikes. 
So we're going to go to one of those churches. Pastor Kevin tripped over this verse, and now he thinks he's got all authority. I do. I do. Because I'm so smart. Went to college, you know. Went to seminary, and I got a seminary degree. Been a pastor for a while, and I'm super smart, and I got it all together, so I have all authority. No, that's not the reason why, but I do have all authority. When you read that, you're just like, as a good American, you're just cringing inside going, oh, I know where this is going. I know, I just, oh, I just can't stand it. You know, the authoritarian and mind his own business and I'll just take care of my own thing. Just, oh, I just can't stand it. Read it. Verse 15, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. I want to say at a time like this, don't shoot the messenger. Don't shoot the messenger. You know what that means, right? You get a message that you don't like and they're like, that's an awful message. Pull out the gun, shoot the messenger. This, I, I didn't make this stuff up. This, this was written long before 1968, December 9th. It's my birthday. Um, I, I didn't write this stuff. He says, come when you're coming with a message from me. Teach these things with all authority. Let's talk about authority for a minute. Um, many of you have maybe noticed this already. Um, I haven't had too many sermons that say the five tips of whatever. Okay? There's a reason for that. Um, because I don't believe God's Word has tips for anything. I, I don't. I don't think they're tips for living. I don't think they're tips for happiness. I think God has given you an authoritative message for us to jump up and do. I don't think when God speaks to us, He says, i got a few ideas for you that might work with you. He says, no, I'm God. I'm God and I have a message for your life that will change you in ways you can't imagine. I know you. I've made you. And so I know what's best for you. And so He commands us to move. There's a problem when we take the commands of God's word and we turn them in tips for living. Do you understand that? It's not meant to be done. When God speaks, we need to listen. And so hopefully as I bring the message, it will be with all authority, not my own. Not based upon my education, my size, my my resume, my time, my influence, not any of those things, but a message from God that you would hear from Him. Don't shoot the messenger, but also don't forget the authority of the author either. God did not write these words down that we would say, I'll decide whether I'm going to buy into that or not. Some of us, as we come to church week after week, or even as we read God's Word, we kind of sit back and we go, I'll see. I'll decide whether that's something that I'm going to take in or reject. And I'll see if it fits into my life or it doesn't fit in. To be honest with you, not much fits in, does it? 
Uh, not much fits into my life. There's a sense of surgery that goes on when I look in God's word and he says, I need to take this out to put this other piece in. He calls the preacher of God's word to do it with all authority. I want to ask you, does God get the final authority in your life? When you come to those passages, do you say, well, he must be right. He's God. It must be okay. It must be good for, for me because my God says it is. Whatever I've been thinking must be wrong because God said something different. The last thing he says in verse 15 is says, says this, let no one disregard you. Let no one disregard you. Now, as a preacher... Uh, and a study of God's word, I get to that part and I, I think to myself and I'm working it over, trying to understand it and everything. And the idea of disregarding is taking something and setting it aside or not caring about it anymore. It's the idea of in your mind, dismissing it, dismissing it, just saying, hearing it, I understand, I understand, no. <laughs> Disregard, set them aside. Someone stands in your way and they say, you can't go any further. And you go, that's very nice. Set aside. I'm on my merry way. And so as I, I'm, I'm thinking about this, I'm going, gee, that would be a neat trick. If I could truly get no one to disregard what your word says, I, I'd like to do that. How do I do that, God? You know, there, there have been many people who have disagreed with your word. How do I get them not to disregard your word? And then I, I got to think. I got to be thinking and just working this over. Who was the book of Titus written to? Titus, okay. Who else do you think read it initially? So Titus is over these churches on the Isle of Crete. There's a bunch of them. We don't know how many there are. There's multiple churches on the Isle of Crete, and he's over them. You know what? I guarantee you that letter was read publicly to those people. That they, as they read, Titus goes, hey, I got a letter from Paul. Let's read it together. And so as he begins to read and he gets to chapter two and he says, there's going to be teaching. Yeah, we're with you. Good teaching. And then he starts talking about older men and they're like, oh, hey, I thought this was for Titus, you know, and they understood their, their sections as hard stuff. And then they get to verse 15, which wasn't 15. It was just part of the letter. And they get to that part and they're already kind of, their feathers are probably a little ruffled and they're like, man, I don't know if I want to. And then he says this, declare these things. Declare them, Titus. Urge them or exhort them, rebuke them if need be. Rebuke them. Do it with all authority. You have the authority to do this. Why? Why? Because it's my word. And then last he says, let no one disregard you. And in their minds, I guarantee you, as people were sitting there or standing there on the floor or what, whatever was going on, there was somebody going, I'm not listening. I'm not buying into this. I'm not going to say anything, but I am out of here. And then they got to verse 15 and it said, let no one disregard you. And they're like, how did he know? How did he know? I was, I was, what? but uh, yeah. I, 
it just, you know, they get that feeling of like, I don't buy into it. And he says, don't do it. Don't do it. Because the messenger is what's most important. It's the message because the message has an author and comes from God. Let me uh, just tie this passage up real briefly with a couple of things. Um, First of all, I want to point out these are imperatives. These are imperatives. As I said earlier, these are not tips. You, You know why he directly and succinctly, this is what I believe, why he was so direct with Titus, declare these things, urge or exhort these things, rebuke. Why was he so direct? And, and Because Titus has a tendency, because he's a man, because he uh, has a sinful heart to shrink back from doing what's difficult and hard. That's what I have the same heart for. That's what you do as well. The hard things of life, you just kind of go, I'll just skip over them or whatever. He says, don't. Don't do what God wants you to do. The second thing, uh, if you look down at verse 13 or up at verse 13, there's there's a context for this kind of message. And, And the context is this, that life down here is finite, that it's gonna come to an end either by death or the Lord's return and bringing this world to an end, this place is finite. And you say, well, what does that matter that it's finite? Why is it so important to declare these things if life is finite? It's real simple. Because if life isn't finite, we'll just get to it tomorrow, right? If if it's infinite, if these days don't matter and they just keep going on and you're like, this day doesn't matter, so just go to next day and so on and so forth. And life is just random events and times and days and nothing matters. And yet you look at verse 13, it says this, that we're working on our uh, verse 12, training us to be uh, renounced ungodliness, worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. Why? Waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You get this picture that this, that that time is seemingly going on without end. That we are doing, going about, doing what we're doing, and he calls us to live differently. And you're saying, well, why? Because we're waiting for a day where Jesus, him being God, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, will come into history and history will be done by his own design. And he says, you know, knowing, knowing that this is the day, knowing that this is the day, it's important that you say a bold message, a message for people. So three questions to tie us up this morning. Three questions. First one is this. What is your posture when you come to God's word? When I say posture, I, I mean, what is your attitude of your heart as you come? What, what is it as you prepare to come to church in the morning and you say, what are you hoping for? What are you hoping for? As you open up your Bible and you read, what are you looking for? Are you looking for God to tell you, hey, everything's great. You're doing everything perfect. Just keep on keeping on. Or are you looking for him to reorder your world? 
want to tell you that when you come to the Word of God and you sit before preaching that talks about His Word, it's going to reorder your world. There's encouragement along the way. He, he does not leave us discouraged. But, but it is not, hey, just keep what, doing what you're doing. He says, no, you've got to change. The second question I have for you is, do you consider God's word the ultimate authority in your life? Do you have this whole thing going on in you where you say, everything's up for grabs, I'm talking through options and everything, but when it comes to God's word applying to my situation, it's game over. Is he the ultimate authority in your life? The third question I have for you is where is the gospel in all this? Where's the gospel in all this? It's good news, right? The gospel is good news. It's about Jesus loving us and dying for us, that we would not be sinners, that we would be part of his family. And I I look at this passage and I say, where's the gospel in this? I'll tell you where the gospel is in this. And this is so great. I love it. I love it. Verse 15 uh, seems like you're playing hardball. Declare these things, you know, t- tell them they're wrong, tell, tell them they're correct, correct, uh, do it with all authority. It sounds like just hardball. It's not. It's not. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's God loving you. It's God loving you and saying, I love you so much. I love you so much. I want you to change. I love you so much, I want you to change. And I want to tell you that it's good for you to change. It's good for you to change. Some of us want to uh, just go about our own life making sinful choices, doing our own thing, and that God would somehow come behind us with a big dustpan, probably better would be a pooper scooper, and, and say... I'm going to clean up your mess and bless your mess and just make, you just keep doing whatever you're doing and I'm just going to come cleaning up after you. You're going to be fumbling through life, hurting yourself, hurting those around you, but I'm just going to kind of come behind you and everything's going to be okay. I want to tell you the gospel in this is that God says, I want you to change now so that my righteousness will be revealed in your life, so that you will experience the goodness of knowing what it is to be my child. He loves us that much. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Um, Thank you for your grace. God, I pray that um, we would all be bowed down before your authority and your word, that we would love to hear the message whether it be corrective, whether it be encouraging, whether it be something that challenges our thinking and is totally different than we believe. God, I pray that you would give us a heart for you to listen. God, thank you for Jesus and the grace of the gospel. Help us to celebrate it now in Jesus' name. Amen.